Hello everyone, this is Jerome. I serve as a community pastor here at First Christian Church. Welcome to our brand new podcast. I'm so glad that we get to serve you today through this message. God bless you. Let's get into the word. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, This morning, as we kick things off, I would like to introduce you to Amazon's number one favorite customer. This guy right here. That's me. I'm Amazon's number one favorite customer because I am number one in buying cheap crap from Amazon and not returning it. Most recently, uh, we, I, we, Hannah and I bought a, a glass cabinet, a display cabinet for our living room, and we wanted to put some, some light strips, some adhesive LED light strips inside uh, the cabinet to, to make it look a little bit more fancy. And so we're uh, going around to Ikea and to Home Depot, and we're looking at these places, and, uh, and we're looking at the lights. And I'm, while we're doing that, I'm, I'm hopping on Amazon on my phone, and I'm like, well, we can buy these for $4 cheaper on Amazon. So if I can find a smoking deal there and get it in two days, like, why am I buying it here at Ikea or Home Depot, right? And Hannah's always like, you shouldn't do that. And then I always do it and I always regret it. So we fast forward, I get the, the two packs that I bought uh, and I, I come to find out that uh, what they don't tell you or what they do tell you, but you never read, is that the strips that they give you, you have to put together yourself and they're about six inches long. So they're not even close to long enough to cover what I need to. So I'm going to buy two more packs, but here's the kicker. They don't sell you extension packs. No, you have to buy two completely new packs. So now I'm sitting at four packs of these LED lights to get them on. So finally I have enough, and I'm trying to fit them through these little metal back panels that are on this cabinet because this cabinet's not designed for these strips to go through them, but I'm going to do it. And so as I'm doing it, the strips are falling apart because they're cheap and from the, they're from Amazon. And so I'm getting frustrated having to pull them out and start doing it again, and then we reset. And eventually I get them through, but in the process of doing that, I managed to bend the back panel of this cabinet Right? And, but I'm like, whatever. Like, this is fine. It's on the back. We'll slide it in the corner. Nobody has to know the difference. Step back. Finally, I have accomplished what I set out to do. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Well, I shouldn't be feeling pretty good about myself because I bought these lights from Amazon. And that's because two days later, I look at the cabinet and the adhesive is started to come off of these lights. So they're coming down. Right? And so now we fast forward to today and I have to buy some more adhesive strips, a little stronger adhesive strips to put on the back of these lights to put them up. And I'm not going to return them because I'm going to die on this hill. This is where I'm going to die. I have decided that this is where I am going to die. (laughs) And because of that, Amazon loves me. Jeff Bezos, you are so welcome, my friend, because I keep giving you your money and you keep giving me your cheap crap. Thank you very much for that. (laughs) Church, here's the thing. I think that sometimes in our spiritual lives, we buy the cheap knockoff version of Jesus. I think that sometimes we buy the version of Jesus that is convenient for us to have. The version of Jesus that makes us comfortable. The version of Jesus that maybe will die on this hill. But the problem with that Jesus, the problem with that Messiah is that while it's convenient and while it's comfortable, that Jesus also doesn't make disciples. 
that Jesus doesn't shape lives and that Jesus doesn't change the world. And Jesus has an interaction with his disciples that we're going to look at this morning that I think lends to this idea of what we're talking about this morning. And so let's jump into our scripture. We're looking at Mark chapter 8, 27 through 38 this morning, 11 verses for us. And uh, so as you're getting there, Mark chapter 8, 27 through 38, just a little bit of context for you to understand what's happening in this story. So Jesus is, is hanging out around the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And in this point of his life, in this point of his ministry, uh, this is what I like to call the Jesus is hitting his stride in ministry. He's been around for a couple of years now, and he's gone around and he's done healings and he's done miracles and he's done these crazy teachings that nobody has ever heard of before. And so he's starting to gain some notoriety. People are starting to know who this guy is. And so while we're sitting in this moment, Jesus heads up north with his disciples. And while they're there, he capitalizes on this notoriety that he is gaining. And he uses this moment that we're about to read as a teaching moment, both for his disciples and for the people who are listening. So if you would with me, we're going to split this up into two sections this morning, starting here in verse 28, which says this, excuse me, 27, which says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So let's stop there for a moment. A couple of things that I want us to take out of this scripture this morning. And the first one is this, that we must name Jesus and recognize him. We must name Jesus and recognize him too. And those are two very distinct things, and we're going to talk about this here. So Jesus has this conversation with his disciples, and he starts asking them, hey, you know, people are starting to know who I am. Right? People are starting to kind of know my name. They're starting to know uh, what I'm doing and what I'm about. So I'm curious, you know, you guys are hanging out with the people. Who do people say that I am? And his, and his uh, disciples replied, some say that you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. Others say that you are a prophet. And I imagine that Jesus in this moment, as he's listening to, him, to them, is kind of, you know, rubbing his chin, nodding his head knowing exactly where he's going to go next. And he pauses. He says, who do you say that I am? He flips it around on them. And Peter, always quick to answer, Peter jumps in and he says, you are the Messiah. Boom, he gets it. Peter gets it. He says, you are the Messiah. 
But I love how strategic Jesus is in this moment. Because instead of simply giving Peter a gold star and patting him on the head and saying, good job and moving on, he starts to tell his disciples, okay, if you believe that I'm the Messiah, here's what that means. He tells them what has been long foretold, what we read in Isaiah 53, that the Son of Man shall come and will suffer at the hands of people, that he will be rejected and that he will die and rise again. And Peter doesn't like the things that Jesus says. And so he pulls him aside and he begins, he begins to rebuke Jesus. And Peter, in an instant, goes from a gold star to a detention. Like, just like that. Because he begins to rebuke Jesus for having the audacity to say these things about him. But Jesus flips the script on him, and he starts, he pulls Peter to the side, and he starts to rebuke him. He calls him Satan, and he tells him to check his priorities. He says, you have your concerns in mind and not the concerns of God. And I think of all the moments that Peter puts his foot in his mouth, which is a lot, Peter's always doing something like this. I think this one's got to be up there because he really hit a nerve with Jesus. He really touches a nerve with Jesus. And he touches a nerve here with Jesus because what Peter reveals here is a mouth who claims to know Jesus, but a heart that completely misses him. A heart that completely misses him. I watched a documentary uh, a couple weeks ago uh, called The Scabs of Football. And some of you may remember this. Uh, this was back in 1987. The NFL had locked out their players, meaning there was no games. or Well, the players weren't allowed to, to, to come in uh, and, and play because uh, they were in a labor dispute. And so what the NFL did during that time is instead of shutting down games, they actually went out and they found replacement players. They started just like pulling guys who were, who were done with college to, to come and join the, the teams. They found one guy, they pulled him out of prison to come and play on, on uh, the Washington Redskins. And so these guys, they started to become known as uh, the scabs of football. And this only lasted about three weeks, didn't last very long. But what ended up happening, what started to happen, especially at first with the fans, was that the fans stopped coming to the games. Because they said, if you're not going to give us the best of what you have to offer, then we're not going to pay you our money. And we're not going to start, we're going to stop showing up. One Giants game had under 500 people at this game. It was an empty stadium because people weren't interested in anything less than the real thing. Church, if we want people to know Jesus, we cannot feed them anything less than the real thing. Peter's heart is after a militaristic and politically charged Jesus one who will crush the reign of Rome and restore Israel to prominence. And so for Jesus to suggest that not only will he not do that, but he's actually going to be killed at the hand of Rome would have been earth-shattering for Peter. Because Peter's Messiah doesn't die. Peter's Messiah charges the gates. Jesus uncovers a false Messiah in Peter's hearts in Peter's heart, one that has no sustenance and that serves the few and not the many. But the problem with that church is that Jesus is not that Messiah. 
Jesus does not have a special concern for one nation over another, including the United States. He is not synonymous with the ideals of nations or political parties. Now, I'm not saying that we can't be patriotic. I'm not saying that we can't love our country. I love my country. I'm glad that I'm here, and I'm thankful for the things that I have here. But our identity in faith and our understanding of Jesus cannot be wrapped up in our, in our politics or in our nation. Jesus transcends the things of this world. Jesus transcends our concerns. More so, Jesus can transcends our, our concerns for our nation or for our politics, and that cannot outweigh our contention for people. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. But this is why Jesus goes to the cross for all people. And while Peter understands the power of the Messiah, while he understands what the Messiah can do, he misses the character of the Messiah, what the Messiah is here to do. FCC, let us not miss the application of this. It is not enough for us to simply say the name of Jesus and go through the motions. The Israelites tried this in Amos 5, and God told them to get away with their praises and with their religious festivals and with their offerings because Israel's heart was far from him. God has no patience for that. It is not enough for us to simply praise and to worship and to serve and to come to church and to vote if we do not reflect the heart of Jesus' character. We must name him and recognize him too. But how? How do we do that? What does that look like? And I think that we find the answer if we pick up once again here in our story. So picking up once again in uh, verse 34, Jesus has just pulled aside Peter and rebuked him strongly for the things that he has told him. And then he uses this now as a teaching opportunity for the rest of the people who are sitting there and watching. And he says this, beginning once again in verse 34, then he called to the crowd to him, and he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them for, he come, for when, he, when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So I want to talk about this final section here in the lens of our final point this morning, which is this. That denying self begins with our conception of the Messiah. Denying ourself begins with the conception of the Messiah. So let's think back here for a second. Take it back with me here for a second to the second question that Jesus asks his disciples. He turns to them and he asks them very pointedly, very specifically, who do you say that I am? And this question is important because it is intentionally personal. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is not concerned about the misconceptions that others have of him. Jesus is not concerned about what the world says about him. 
But Jesus is concerned about what the people who claim to follow him say about him. He is asking us very specifically, who do I, who do we, say that Jesus is? And here's why this is important. After after Peter fails to see the real Jesus, Jesus takes this opportunity to be real with the crowd who's listening to him. He says that, look, whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves that pick up their cross and follow me. He's saying this is what this takes. And then he follows that up by saying, if anyone is ashamed of me, and if anyone is ashamed of me and my words and the things that I'm here for and the things that I'm about, then I am ashamed of them also. These are heavy words from Jesus. This whole section is a hard section and is a hard teaching from Jesus, but he's not messing around and he's not mincing words. He's saying, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. And I hope you take it. I hope you follow. But if you follow, you have to know what you're following. On my first date that I ever had with Hannah, my wife, um, we, we were in college. I had just started college out here in Phoenix, moved down from Colorado. I was only here a couple of months, and uh, I, I asked her out. Uh, to go to, to Froyo. We start slow, you know, go to Froyo. So uh, we, 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 she agreed to go on this date. We set a date. And uh, so I come and I, and I pick her up from her dorm room and she gets in the car. Now what she didn't know was that before uh, she had gotten into the car, the, 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 the morning before, I had decided, look, when, when, when we get into the car, I'm not going to use GPS. Because I want, to, I want to be like a big shot, right? Like I know, I know my way around. I've only been here a couple months, but I know my way around, right? So I got this. So I'm looking it up beforehand. I think like I got this, right? The Froyo place is 10 minutes away. It's 10 minutes from our school. I kid you not when I tell you it took us 45 minutes to get to this Froyo place. And the only reason that we ended up getting there was because Hannah in the passenger seat said, looks like you're lost. What if I just look this up really quick? Completely backfired. Off to a great start. I thought she's never going to talk to me again. She thinks that I'm like the biggest dweeb out here. Like there's no way. And God's good. He provided, went through my, my hubris there and, and uh, we got married. But uh, here's the thing. I had no idea where I was going. I lived here in Phoenix for two months. No idea where I was going, but I thought that I could just force my way to it. I could just figure it out. It was three rights, right, straight, right, right. That's all it was. But I had no idea where I was going, and it took us a long time to get there. Church, we cannot serve Jesus if we have no idea where we're going. We cannot serve Jesus if we do not know where we're going. And the thing is that Jesus gives us a very clear roadmap about where he's going. He says, this is who I am, and this is what it takes. And if you're willing, take up your cross and follow me. And to take up our cross, it requires us to do two things. The first one is this. That we have to die to a self-serving or convenient Messiah. 
And I think the best way to answer or to figure out where we are with that is to ask ourselves a series of questions. What are the, what are the conceptions that I have of Jesus that fit my narrative? What are the conceptions of Jesus that I have that fit my narrative? And a good way to gauge that is to ask ourselves a follow-up question. What teachings of Jesus make me uncomfortable? And if you don't know, look up the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and I'm sure you will find something. What teachings of Jesus make me uncomfortable? What thing has God called me to that I'm putting off? What action am I judging in others that make me, to make myself feel better? What are the biases that I have about the world? And what does Jesus actually say about these things? So that's the first thing. We die to a self-serving and convenient Messiah. And the second one is this. Standing for who Jesus is and what he did. Church, if there is one thing that Jesus did in his three years of ministry on this earth, it was that he contended for people. We could boil Jesus' ministry down to one thing, it was that, that he contended for people. And if we stand for who Jesus is and what he did, then we stand for people. And I mentioned earlier that Jesus came and died on the cross for all people. And what Jesus really did was that Jesus came for the one. And who the one is, when he leaves the 99, the one is the widow The one is the foreigner, is the immigrant, is the refugee, is the marginalized, is the broken, is the abused. It is the forgotten, it is the unborn. It is all of those people. And those people come in different forms and look different. But Jesus calls us to contend for those people. Now that doesn't mean that this will always be easy, and honestly it shouldn't be easy, because there is a cost to contending for people. Most often that means that standing for people, most often what contending for people means is standing for people who are inconvenient to stand for. Those who our political party says that we do not stand for. Those that require for us to break from our comfort and our little bubble, and learn the stories of people who we don't know and who haven't experienced life as we have. Those who require for us to recognize the nuances of the world and to humble ourselves in that process. And that can be scary because that means that we have to sacrifice. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, that he faces death daily as he boasts and contends for the Corinthians. And for us, living here now, death may not be a physical death as we contend, but it might mean social isolation. It might mean public ridicule. It might mean humbling ourselves. And that's hard. And that's hard for all of us. But Jesus calls us to stand firm for him and for the marginalized people. This is what it looks like to deny ourselves. This is what it means to pick up our cross. Jesus has chosen us to pick up our cross. It's a privilege to be able to do that and to stand with Jesus. Because he didn't have to use us. But he chooses to. 
But he's saying if you are going to do that, if you are genuinely going to answer the call, this is what it takes. So what we'd like to do here just for the next couple minutes, instead of our normal sharing time in the aisles, what we'd like to do is uh, for you just for the next couple minutes, just with the people that you came with, or if you're bold, maybe going up and across the room, uh, just share with the people who are around you the things that you heard in this story. What stuck out to you? What is Jesus saying to you through this story? So go ahead and do that for the next five-ish minutes or so, and we'll come back together and wrap up.
All right. Finish up your last thoughts, one another here. We uh, always appreciate you all doing that and being willing uh, to engage with us on that level. We uh, at FCC, we value uh, wanting church to uh, not be just us sitting here and listening to whoever's up front, but to engage with the story together as a body, because that's how Jesus, that's really how we feel we discovered Jesus the best. And so thank you for doing that along with us. I hope you had a good discussion um, with that. So church, we're going to wrap this up here. Here is the big idea this morning. To serve the Messiah, we must recognize him fully. To serve the Messiah we must recognize him fully. And so the question for all of us really boils down to this. Which Messiah are we serving? Are we serving the Jesus who fits our narrative, who is convenient, and who keeps us comfortable? And the reality of it is, is that we all serve that Messiah at certain points in our lives. And it's a lifelong journey to try to figure out Jesus. But fortunately for us, there's grace in that as Jesus walks alongside that uh, journey of faith with us. But it's important for us to ask that question and to consistently ask ourselves that question, which Messiah are we serving? Do we serve that Messiah or do we serve the Messiah who contended for the one? Who went to the cross, who loved each person so deeply that he would die on their behalf, that he would sacrifice for them. FCC, in order to serve this real Messiah, this true Messiah that he calls Peter so strongly towards, we have to set aside our desires for the sake of others and for the kingdom. That's what being a Christian is all about. We set aside our desires. We set aside me for the sake of others and for the kingdom. So, Jesus, so, so FCC, Jesus is asking us the question this morning. Who do you say I am? Who is Jesus to you? And are you willing to do what it takes to follow him? Let's pray.